Welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. This is your host, Eric Vernston. Thank you so much for tuning in. Happy 2021. Big things popping this year, hopefully. Mostly just getting that vaccine so we can open things up. I had a wonderful interview with Ross Taylor. And the reason I interviewed Ross is because I'm going to do a series on things to get your year going. Kind of like a New Year's resolution type deal. I believe that you can start a project at any point in any year. But January is a good time. Ross Taylor is one of my improv teachers. He is fantastic. He works at the Magnet Theater in New York, as well as the Second City Theater in Chicago, and also has RossTaylorTeaching.com. Ross and I had a wonderful discussion about improv, his journey, how he likes to teach, some of the stories, especially the one around the 18-minute mark when we get started talking. I almost peed my pants, not only when he was telling it, but also when I was re-listening. He is an incredible storyteller and one of the funniest comedians I've ever met in my entire life, if not the funniest. I hope you enjoy this. My audio goes out midway around, uh, actually around the 18 minute mark. I don't know what's going on. I think I held the mic too far away from myself. Ross literally is so funny that you don't even really notice I'm gone. You can kind of know what I'm saying, but really it doesn't matter because the two biggest takeaways are A, I hope you laugh and B, Take that plunge into improv in 2021 or comedy in general. A lot of people, just like yours truly, two years ago, sit on the fence and they go, well, I think I'm funny or maybe I could be, well, I could probably do that. Or you go to shows, you're like, that doesn't look so bad. Do it. Take the plunge. Make 2021 the year that you do comedy. Because as I told Ross, as he agreed, anyone can be funny. Can anyone be Chris Farley? No but anyone can learn the basics and can just improve in all aspects of their life through improv, whether it be comedy or just feeling more confident to go out there and just see what happens. I really hope you enjoy this interview. Ross Taylor, rosstaylorteaching.com. He has some unbelievably funny stories. Please stick through to the end. If you enjoy, please subscribe. And of course, leave five-star reviews. I thank you so much. I think this year is going to be very big. Going to have some wonderful podcast guests coming up, as well as some very exciting announcements. Enjoy, and I will talk to you later. All right, three, two, one. All right. Ross Taylor, welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. It's good to see you. I come to your drop-in classes all the time. Yeah. You're one of my loyal cadre. There's a few of you. <laughs> It's it's good. You we we learn stuff. One of the reasons I reach out to you is because you're very you're very candid not only about giving feedback, yeah. you also are candid about the improv industry. You work you've worked in Chicago, New York, all over. And we have uh, New Year's resolutions coming up. That's yeah. how I got started a couple of years ago. I'm sure you'll have people that are gonna be looking to, you know, try improv and you're kind of doing it on your own. So Ross, what would be something you tell someone? who's like, ah, you know, I, I think I'm kind of funny, but I don't know if I should make the plunge. What would you say? Mm, I'd say try it out. You'll probably enjoy it. And if you don't, it's only one time. <laughs> but the risk of trying is so small, uh, like a couple hours, you know, it's, it's never so bad. Uh, the anticipation is much worse than the doing of it. And usually, um, 
if that person is not in the theater already, it's a different kind of conversation. But if it's like after a show and someone, often people will come after a show and be like, hey, I really admire what you do. I could never do it. I could never do it. But it's like, that's a much easier place to be like, you should just sign up for a class. It's really easy, low risk. Like you're only out your time and a little bit of money. So uh, it's very uh, easy to do and low embarrassment. <laughs> How did you, or how do you make people comfortable when they are in one of your classes and they're like, Hey, I've never done this before. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I love those beginners classes with people who are, it's their very first like moments of improv. Um, Cause generally they're very scared or nervous. And so projecting confidence and ease, making them feel very comfortable just by being a comfortable person to be around is usually a big thing is like, if you project, uh, easygoing energy, then they tend to relax a little more. Um, I lead them along and don't try to over explain anything. <laughs> Just get them doing exercises right away uh, so that they don't, because you at the beginning, if you're like, all right, we're about to change your life. You're going to learn. Yes. And, and next you're going to, it's like, you can just too much information. So we'll get up right away. Be like, all right, let's circle up. We're going to start out. You're going to turn to this person on your left. You're going to clap hands at the same time. Right now that person's going to turn to their partner on their left, also clap hands at the same time and pass around this circle. It's like we get the clap going around and then we'll lead to the next thing and then the next thing. And after we do the exercise, I may explain a little like, all right, in this last one, that's not improv, but we are agreeing to participate with the same rules. And I'm not here to surprise you. I'm here to meet you at the same time and wait until I'm sure we're going to clap at the same time because of the ensemble spirit. It's not just me being a star. It's both. So there's all this stuff that I've gotten used to because I've done that intro class like hundreds of times. <laughs> so my two hours is tight. I know exactly what I'm doing with those, but um, I love people letting down their guard for the first time and getting a laugh for the first time. Usually pretty cool, but you don't reach everybody. There's a lot of people who don't come back and try it out after that. So it's like, you know, not for everybody. What do you say to someone who's like, yeah, I kind of want to do improv, but I, I don't know. Is it like, sh should I only do improv in person? Can I do it over zoom? I mean, obviously I'm biased because I yeah. attend your classes and I have a great time. It's one of the reasons I asked you on, mm -hmm. what do you say to people that think like, I don't know about this whole zoom thing. Um, usually if you have an, an absolute beginner who's willing to do online improv, then they are going to go to the largest, institution they will type in improv class and whatever comes up at the top is what they're going to take so it's like second city has a big advantage in this area or the other theaters after that so i don't get a ton of absolute beginners coming to me because they tend to go to something more trusted uh but whenever i work for those places uh if they sign up you know they're willing at least to do that much the people who are too scared to even try i don't communicate with because they don't sign up for those experiences uh I do love it whenever people, like I've had a few people, I used to try the Google ads at the very beginning of my uh, Ross Taylor teaching thing. And I did get a few people to sign up that way, but um, not as committed. I mean, the, you know, if you get a free opportunity to do stuff, you're somehow less committed than if you pay $10 for the class. Like they're more, uh, I don't know. It, I found less, uh, less success in getting brand new students to take my independent teaching kind of course. I want to get into that. You yeah. are on your own. I mean, I remember the first time I think I met you was, I want to say you were, I, I did a tryout. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those, 
I think it was for what is it? You know, like you get the four show run on like Thursdays at like 11 p.m. What are those called in Second City? Oh, that was like um, God. Coach Ensembles is one. Coach, There's Coach Ensemble. something like that. Yeah. So it was one of those where you were running the Coach Ensemble tryouts, and you got the 30 people, you know, in a, in the line, and then they split the two lines, and then afterwards. And one of the things I liked about you is you were very, kind of like you are now. You're very calm. You're like, hey. And I think one of the first things you said was, you're like, hey, this is really hard. And improv is really hard. And we're all looking for different things. So if you don't get a call back, it doesn't mean you suck. Yeah. And I think that kind of helped me uh, because, well, I, I think the fact of the matter is everyone who gets up there is brave and they need to appreciate themselves and love themselves for, mm -hmm. for giving a, sh a shot like that. You've taken a huge plunge. You are... Ross Taylor Improv Inc. How did that get started? Um, well, the pandemic forced all the classes I was teaching in Second City to go online. So week two, we were in of our eight week classes and it was just like, all right, school's closed. We're going to take one week off and then we're going to be doing online classes the following week. If you don't want to do it, totally fine. <laughs> but we that, need to that know was, that. That was it. That it was, was it. It was it. it. Hey. You're so it was like, you know, and at first, uh, I was very, I, I just, I, I was reluctant to believe that it would be a fun experience for anybody involved as far as like, oh man, you know, I have to be on computers and I don't, I just don't know. I don't think it's going to go well, but then trying it out within a couple hours, it's like, all right, I can see how this could easily translate, how we can easily make it work. It just, it took being forced to do so because Previous to any of this, nobody would have wanted to do so much stuff on Zoom. I mean, it was only because we were forced to do it that we're all okay with it now. But uh, so being forced into it was step one. And then, you know, classes started to dwindle and dwindle. It's like we all got less work. And so I was like, well, I'm, I, I, there was a couple of terms there where I had one class, you know, for eight weeks. That's three hours a week. That's just not enough to make too much money. So... I just thought I'd throw out there the old drop-in, uh, or I originally was trying to do group classes, but it just didn't, just didn't happen. Uh, you know, it's like, again, getting a small number of people to commit is not a problem, but getting a large enough group that it's like going to feel fun because having like a five person class can be really hard if someone misses one week or two people, you know, it's like, it gets really tricky with small numbers. So, uh, the drop-in, at least on Saturdays, has been pretty good. It's just, you know, goes up and down, and there's no predicting. That's the unfortunate thing about having, like, a no-commitment kind of class is, like, sometimes people don't sign up. Sometimes a bunch of people sign up, but at the last minute after, you know, it's, like, lots of tricky, tricky elements. But uh, overall, I've gotten to interact with tons of people. It's, like, really cool that people like yourself keep coming back. It's because... That's what I relate to as far as whenever I'm a performer, that's the kind of performer I am, where it's like, I want more. <laughs> I want to do more scenes. Uh, if there's an opportunity to drop in once a week, I'm there. So that's kind of what keeps me motivated is like, well, there's only five people signed up for this Saturday, but man, they come every week and I kind of feel like they're my people. So I'm going to meet them because they're there to meet me. It's uh, kind of like a I gain inspiration and I'm sure that the students would say a similar thing about like, oh, I'm inspired every once in a while you say a thing that's helpful or whatever. So it's very much a mutual reward situation with the teaching. Uh, I would not be a good high school teacher. <laughs> I only want to teach people who are super in interested and like 
uh, in this very specific area. You've been doing this for over a decade, right? In improv? Yeah, my uh, improv first time in college was 2003 or four, something like that. And then my first real class was 2009 in New York at the Magnet. So uh, 11 years going on 12, I guess. What you said, you know, it inspires you when students will come and they want to learn. Mm-hmm. What inspired, you still perform all the time. What, what inspired you to get started? Uh, it's just one of the, um, so I come from a small town in the rural Missouri and in my family there's a lot of religious people. There's a lot of like pastors and stuff. Uh, and it used to be said that you were called to become a pastor. You just kind of like felt it. It was like, I've always felt that performing was my calling. It's just, I just, like there's nobody in the middle of Missouri who goes into an arts career, let alone an acting career. So I just, I felt compelled and <laughs> I followed it ever since. And it's not always been like, I don't know, I haven't yet gotten beyond middle class actor, uh, but <laughs> I haven't lost my fire. And I, I've seen a lot of people along the way who have, or that life comes along and they start a family or the job or whatever. It's like, there's just a million reasons for people to stop performing and get off in another direction. And I've just always kept performing as the thing that I've chosen to do. So that's, <laughs> there's no real moment or anything. It was just like, uh, performing in speech and debate and theater in high school and feeling like I was good at it and watching movies and feeling like, man, I, I think I could do this. And not now, but given enough time if I just devoted my life to it. Um, but there's all sorts of obstacles to, you know, if you don't have anybody in your life who's a member, like a part of the arts community, you're just, grab, you're just groping around in the dark trying to figure out like, all right, I'll move to New York. And then you audition and you, you get the job and that's how acting works. It's like, no, it's much more complicated than that. And to start at 25 in New York is pretty late. Uh, if you want to be like a big actor, <laughs> it really helps to start as like a 12 year old and have a parent who takes you to auditions and to be born on a coast. Like there's a lot of elements involved, which is like, it's just much harder to start at this point, but I don't care. I mean, it's just, I, I have a, I think I'll be a really great older actor. <laughs> I've had trouble getting cast as a younger person because, you know, if you don't look like a thing uh, specifically, it can be hard to cast you. And it's just like, uh, well, you look like a Midwestern person, but, you know, it's like we aren't casting a ton. So I, I can go out for on auditions for, like, police officer and, <laughs> you know, die, like certain things come along, but it's never been like, oh, wow, we've got a million ideas or willing to take a risk, even though you look like this. We'll, tr- we'll give you a shout as the villain or whatever. And it's like, you know, I think as I get older, I'll be much more castable personally, especially now as I enter young dad years where it's like, yeah, lots of, I'll take that all day. <laughs> you, yeah, so you're aiming for like the, you'll be like the young to like middle-aged dad or like eventually you can age. Well, maybe like the whole idea is like you do this acting career and it's like so tough that it just ages you so much. <laughs> you become like bitter and old. Yeah, and exactly. Like fall right in. You can just fall into every one of those old characters that, like, you could eventually be a sheriff, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, a teacher, all the authority figures and stuff like that. Uh, Especially, you know, like, we males have a slight advantage in that we can get a bunch of wrinkles on our face and still get cast as things without, you know, having to overcome some great bar. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll look like an old man. They're going to need those. (laughs) You always need people who actually look old. (laughs) You said before you were... 25 when you were in New York? Uh, yeah, that's when I moved to New York. 
what was what was that experience like? Like the first time you like you moved you moved to New York. Like what brought what got you to do it? I mean, I know you talked about like you were, you said you always wanted to perform. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my I'm I'm from Illinois. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I remember about Missouri, outside of I do like a lot of the people, is <laughs> I don't understand, and maybe it's different now, but it, mm-hmm. it seems like anytime you drive through Missouri, there's an inordinate amount of corn billboards. There are so many truck drivers that like, is that just, why is that? Oh, uh, that's a, you know, I know it's a Midwestern thing because it's not everywhere. It's just like little nooks and crannies because it's not allowed anywhere else. I think if towns were a little less high strung and could have the random adult store that you wouldn't have like <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere, the only gas station right next to like. Uh, Lions Gate, <laughs> like yeah, some weird yeah, name. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, growing up there, there's just a, the extremes. It's my belief that like the extreme religious side tends to create this other extreme because there's no in between. You're either headed to heaven or not. So it's kind of like you either get right with God or you get just hard in the other direction. So there's just no, you know, like cities. Even though it's a little seedy in New York to see like an adult store, it's just right next to the subway and next, you know, it's like everything's together. So it just doesn't feel quite so, I don't know. I would never want to go visit one of those places in Missouri. I have no problem walking into a store in New York. It's like, oh, this is normal. Yeah. Yeah. Missouri, it's like the one thing for like five miles and you're like, I don't know. I feel like Small town, people know you and like all that stuff. I, I mean, I haven't been home in a long time, so I can pretty much be a stranger in Missouri, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Where, so you go to New York, you're 25, like you, you get there. What, how do you even know what to do? Like you're from the Midwest, yeah, yeah. A different place. Everything's like super expensive. People are bumping into you. Like, what do you, what do you do? Well, uh, one thing, so I, <laughs> it's kind of a complicated story. So I didn't graduate college. I got through a bunch of hours, but I basically only cared about theater. So I would do those classes and do great and never go to anything else because I was like, well, that's not theater. I don't, need, I don't need this and I don't need this. And so basically I couldn't graduate and I hung around this town in Columbia, Missouri, uh, where the University of Missouri is for a couple more years. Uh, it's like feeling down, wanting, I knew I wanted to be an actor. Oh, also. Uh, at 20, I had gotten married, and then uh, at 22, I had gotten divorced. So it's just like I was definitely in a place of like I'm going to do whatever I want with my life. So here's me being an adult. I'm getting married. Ah, oh, well, I'm getting divorced, and now I'm just kind of like not going anywhere. Um, but I got this job working at the library, the university library, and was able to work there for a few years and save up some money. And I moved uh, with the girl that I was dating. Uh, so we moved together and we got an apartment off of Craigslist, got the first job. I mean, interviewing off Craigslist. I just didn't know anything. Um, just, what was the first yeah. job? uh, it was called the New York city guitar school and it's, uh, it's like 40 teachers, um, located in Manhattan at 29th street between seventh and eighth. And I was just an office. I mean, you know. In New York, they'll paint any shitty job as like rock star desk assistant. You know, so it's like that's what that's what I applied for. Think about it. You know, it's like a rock star assistant at a guitar school. Awesome. Uh, but I was really bro- like 
my first job, it was $10 an hour. And then after the first year, I got bumped up to like 11. And so just barely, just so broke all the time. Um, had that job for probably two years, but uh, I didn't care because, you know, just like all new. And you're like, wow, I get to go into the city every day. And I don't have any money and I'm losing money, but it's, there's the city. Wow, I'm here. <laughs> but I knew I was going to get into uh, this place called The Magnet. It is a weird way of like learning about it. Um, a lot of weird stories here. So before I moved, in the months leading up, I was applying to every job on Craigslist that I could find that was like acting jobs. So one of them was somebody claiming to have somehow acquired the rights to the National Lampoon name, the company name, and that they were making a new movie. They're making a, a, a college movie about a guy that's like, you know, huh. He's just huge. He's got a big penis. So the, the submission is just like, send uh, your resume and pictures of you in your underwear. So I'm like, okay, hey, this is, hey, I'm moving to New York. You know, I'm, I want to get it in a movie. So I sent these pictures and this guy sent back, he was like, can you send more pictures? By the way, you, I see on your resume, improv, uh, there's this place called the Magnet Theater and it, it's small. So if you're good, you can get on stage right away. But also, could you send more pictures? <laughs> like, buried in this pervy thing. I was like, okay. So, like, on the third day I was in New York, I took the free intro class at the Magnet and signed the only class I ever paid for. You didn't say if you sent them pictures. Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, you know, again, green, just totally like, well, you know, the guy asked for it, so, okay. Uh, if I did send yeah, it, then it happened again, and then I was like, you know what? I don't think this is real. I don't think this is fake. Well, you know, you just kept being like, you know, I just need some more. <laughs> I'll send pictures of your feet, too. And I was like, okay, all right. But, um, but yeah, that's how, I, that's how I, start. I took my first class of the magnet. Uh, well, because, again, my limited knowledge. Like, uh, I checked out all the improv books I could get through the, the library. And one of them, uh, the second book that was the Sharna Dale Close. First one's Truth and Comedy. Second one is called Comedy by Committee, and it came with a DVD in the back. And the DVD had like uh, 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 Cat from UCB, this thing called Beer Shark Mice from Chicago, this thing called the Armando Diaz Experience. And so I was like, oh, Armando, he owns the Magnet. I've heard of that. And I, this, okay, so there's like, this guy must be somebody. So like, that's why I signed up the Magnet, because that makes no sense. Uh, the UCB is the biggest thing in New York by far, like. If I had Google searched improv classes, UCB would have come up first, but uh, yeah. I said the one book you found was by the founder of The Magnet. Oh, no. It, it's just that on this DVD included in the second Del Course Sharna uh, Halpern improv book, uh, there was a group that performed the Armando Diaz experience, which was just a form. But that name stuck in my brain. And so later, whenever I saw that this was a man who owned this theater, it was like, oh, okay, I've heard of that. So I, this is legit. And so that's why I signed up there. But uh, yeah, now I still teach classes there. So it's incredible. What are some, uh, so you, you go to the Magnet. This is like your first like improv theater experience, right? Like you're in New mm -hmm. York, just like improv, improv. What's it like? I'm assuming you started with group classes. Did you start with like an intro to improv? Yeah, initially it was just a two hour intro. Uh, and then after that I signed up for a level one. 
And then, uh, I mean, I just didn't have much money in my account at that time, so that was the only one that I paid for. I immediately became an intern there and was there like every Friday night doing box office and selling behind the bar. And eventually it was uh, being a tech in the booth. But every Friday night or every night you would spend there was one like class credit day. So if you do eight weeks, then you get that class. So I paid for all my classes that way. Um, all the levels at the Magnet and all the musical levels at the Magnet and uh, a couple others. So I was an intern for like a year and a half on Friday nights there just soaking it all in because it was very, I mean, it was such a strong impression. Like that first Friday night watching shows, I can remember what I saw. I remember the first time seeing musical improv. It was just like, I know I can do that. Like. I, need, I just need to take classes because I know I can get up there and do exactly that. It was just so exciting at that, like, you know. And that's another thing I love seeing about students at the very beginning is that initial kind of like discovery and whoa, and I'm in full for about a year. <laughs> you know, like that initial kind of like crazy addiction that people get into. Um, I was, I, I, yeah. So I was just like, get through all the classes so I can audition to be on teams. Uh, that was the whole thing, like, get on team, get on team. Uh, and I was too, you know, <laughs> again, too too eager, you know. Uh, a lot of the notes were, like, lighter touch. <laughs> Easy, you know, just like, uh, and then later, a couple of class people were like, yeah, you were kind of a steamroller. It's like kind of a scene hog. It's like, oh, I, yeah, sorry. I, I, I was just very eager to get out and show and try to get better and all that kind of stuff. So I very much sympathized with all the too big energy people or the steamroller people. It's like, yeah, I, you know, you're just so excited to get out there. What do you, how do you work with people when you, when you see that in person or on Zoom? How do you work with people to kind of, I guess, learn from, I don't want to say, I want to say learn from your experiences. Because in improv, there are no mistakes, right? You're really just, is, is, is there someone, didn't someone say that? Maybe it's on, uh -uh. on a billboard somewhere. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an oversimplification. I mean, like, I don't know. I think there are mistakes, but that's mostly just like saying something really insensitive, like, you know, just being totally crass. That's a mistake on a stage. But um, as far as just being too big, I always just, you know, if I say I'm that way and I tell about it, then generally that disarms them as opposed to like, hey, you're being too big. Stop that. It's just like, hey, I'm that. I was that way. So uh, it's just and then I explain it's about moderating the instrument, you know, it's like you're just playing too loud. If you just turn it down a little, you'll be totally fine. Uh, so, what are, what are some other things that you experience, whether when you were a beginner or when you see people now that are either just beginning or getting started? Like, what are some things that you see and ways that people can kind of quickly learn and, and get better? Sure. Um. I would say one thing that I notice a lot more now is people's hesitation to follow through on their ideas or try things out. They'll kind of throw something out there and it doesn't immediately get a reward or great response so they then get scared and back away. So like that thing of kind of dancing around a choice, uh, I can definitely see it in their faces and just say like, hey, I noticed, you know, you seem to try something and then back away from it. You know, like. I'm able to read people a lot better, even on the screens, like many and many a class and I'm just able to really sense how people are feeling in those scenes uh, as actors, <laughs> like whenever it comes to being scared, uh, 
somebody else says something messed up, but they don't want to be impolite, so they just kind of let it go. Or like those kind of moments uh, with students, I'm able to recognize. What do you recommend when someone says something a little bit? When you said someone says something messed up, and then they let it go, like what do you mean? Uh, for instance, if you and I are in a scene and we're a married couple. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you know, I've been sleeping with your sister for a long time. It's great. And you're like, anyway, let's continue planning the birthday party. Because that's the actor being like, oh, that's weird. I don't know how to respond. Never mind. <laughs> so like those tiny little moments like that, I can see, you know, people feeling that. And just then I get to say, like, you don't have to be quiet. If they said something that you would never put up with in real life, you can respond to that and say so. Like, the yes uh, of yes and sometimes gets misinterpreted as, like, literally, whatever your partner does, say yes. So even if your partner's like, hey, drink this and let's go beat that person up. Like, you just don't have, you, can, you don't have to be like, well, yes and. You know, like, you, you can say no. You can, uh, because that's when the audience gets uncomfortable as well. Because like, oh man, let's say I have a, a, a partner on the stage who's a woman and I say something offensive. It's like the audience will get uncomfortable if they let it go. <laughs> the only way everybody feels okay about uncomfortable moments is if it's called out, addressed, just said like, hey, that was messed up. And then everybody goes, yeah, that is messed up. And then we can all move forward. Is there, have you noticed a difference? In the, I guess there had to be a difference, but... How do you, when you perform now and you're on Zoom, you don't get that immediate audience reaction. Like if you're doing really great, you don't get that, that big dopamine hit. And if you're not doing great, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's more quiet, right? So how, how, how do you manage to know how you're doing when you're, on a, when you're doing a show versus uh, on Zoom versus in person? Mm, yeah, I mean, you're just taking a guess. You're, I, I, I just kind of... I got to a place in the past few years performing wise where I pretty much feel like if I'm on the stage, it'll be okay. If I'm in a scene, it's going to be good or, you know, like even if it's not my best, it'll be fine. My worst is very watchable. <laughs> so I assume, I just assume that whenever I'm in a Zoom scene, it's going well. It's not, you know, I don't think everything's awesome or t taken off. I'm not unrealistic, but I just assume that my Skills at this point are at least watchable or interesting enough. I know I'm not bailing on choices. I know that I'm looking to have more fun than I've looked to have. It's like, I just tend to believe that it's working out. <laughs> it's not, but you can't really tell from the inside either. It's like, without the audience, I hope it's fine. I definitely don't go and watch, the, like, last week's musical improv show. I'm like, you know, I'll never watch that, but I assume it was fine. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you watch? Ah, uh, there's just no need at this point. I mean, unless I was checking something like, whenever I sing, does it match up with the music? Like, is the piano and vocal match? Otherwise, you know, it's just me being like, oh, look, we're, I, I'll, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Or, I, you know, I, I don't really need to look at the film quite as much anymore. It would be different if it was like, we're putting up a sketch show and it opens in two weeks, and here's a recording of that. Like, that's going to be valuable to look at to try to fine-tune. But as far as an improv show, eh, no real interest, I guess, in watching something that I just did. Unless something crazy happened, then, then maybe. How do you handle, I know you said this earlier, but 
like, what are some, have you ever had something really crazy happen at a show? Like, if you had someone, like, completely go off the rails, or, like, one of your stage partners, like, froze and couldn't do anything? Like, what's some of, like, the, or maybe, like, a, a wild kind of crowd? I know you talk about, uh, you have on your website, like, how to deal with, like, different, different kind of crowds. Like, mm -hmm. you just, you know, talk us through at least one time when something, like, wild just happened. Sure. I mean, there are so many, like anytime I start to open that door of stories, there's just always like, I've had so many insane, I can't believe we're trying to do a comedy show right now because of the circumstances. Like a lot of them are just where the venue is not appropriate. So in New York, uh, there was a company called Chicago City Limits and it moved to New York in the in 79. So it was kind of like this older institution, but once UCB came along, it was suddenly just passe, short form. So I started working for them at the very, they're, they're still around in name, but like they're just barely hanging on and they have been for like a decade. But I started working for them and uh, did all these private shows all over town, very tied in because the owner is a Jewish guy uh, with Jewish community. So we do all these events. It's like, this is at a dinner at a uh, traditional, like, uh, what do you call it, Orthodox Jewish wedding. We're all on a stage. We can't have any women perform with us because we can't touch. So it's just four guys and there's one microphone. And so we're all improvising into the microphone and the people are just like eating their food after a wedding. Like who has, who planned this? And that's the thing. There's like a million of those. So private birthday parties in some guy's basement, his rich wife is like, oh, my husband loves comedy. He'll love it when an improv team comes over and they do an hour and a half long show for me and our kids. It's like those type of situations. Just like, this should not be a comedy show. <laughs> comedy show for a family. Yes, yes. Many a situation like that. And you get paid and you know, you're eating the food in a room next door until it's time to go on. And you're like, coming on. <laughs> it's just, just ridiculous. Situations like that. Venue matters so much. So in New York, if you're at a bar in the corner and people are watching the TV and it's like, those are the situations where it's like, people aren't here to watch the show. So that leads to a million stories. On the cruise ship, man, people, uh, they have these things called all you can drink packages or what unlimited drink packages. You pay $60 a day, you can drink all day, all you want. So it leads to very drunk audiences. And so there's this whole other 10 or 20 stories that are just like, yeah, there was a time we were doing a show, short form show, and it was going great. But then we did Oscar winning moment and it was okay. But this guy gets up and he's like, Hey, that wasn't fucking funny. Hey, that wasn't funny. Just like those kind of situations where it's like, man, this is great. In, in Chicago, second city, those late night shows, there's a show called after hours, Fridays and Saturdays at 11, same situation, a room of 300 and there are four bachelorette parties. And it's like, just, I call it riding the bull where it's just like, man, if we let them realize they have power, this could get out of control. And I've never in that situation been where it's out of control, but definitely many a moment where it's like, this is awkward. This shouldn't be, we shouldn't be here right now. A lot of audiences saying inappropriate things. It's like in Winnetka, probably the worst suggestion I've ever gotten in, in a big room. <laughs> it was like wealthy, wealthy white Winnetka. Doing a scene, my partner's an African-American male. Say, hey, can we get a relationship that two people have? Like doctor-patient or two astronauts. Master and slave. Sir, as much as I would love to do master and slave, we're not going to do that, ever. 
So could we get another, like those moments at first when I was younger, I just didn't know, it was just fluster, you know, your face gets red, you know, you like, so for instance, on the ship, when that guy spoke up and was like, we all puffed up our chest, we're like, yeah, real clap, you know, like now I know better. Now I know you never let them throw you off your game and lose your cool, that you just dress them down, that when you're on the stage, you have the power, so you don't have to be like, hey, shut up. You just be like, hey, sir, Look at all these other people. By a round of applause, how many of you want to see us continue the show? You know, like you can use them and all sorts of tricks, but at the beginning you don't know, so you just kind of freak out a little bit. But yeah. What would be uh, so? You're, so you're in New York. I want to go back to yeah. Well, actually, let's talk about Oscar-winning moments. What what is an Oscar? <laughs> I know because I think sometimes yeah. Like, I know what you're saying exactly. What is what is the Oscar-winning moment? Oscar-winning moment is a short-form game in which we are improvising a scene, and at some point, the host says, freeze! Eric is now going to deliver his Oscar-winning moment. So the idea would be that we're about to see the scene that won you the Oscar, or the monologue, or whatever. So each actor takes their turn doing a dramatic monologue in the middle of the improv. So sometimes it doesn't lead to big belly laughs. <laughs> sometimes people, you know, do a thing and it's just like, wow, that was dramatic. <laughs> and people are confused. <laughs> what are some other short form games that you like to do, whether it be a beginner or just someone in your class, what are some of the games you like to play? I like the scenic ones. So there's a scene tag and Foursquare. Those are the short form games that I always use with beginners because they're the most like long form improv. They're just scenes. Uh, scene tag, we have two actors here, two actors here, two actors here, six on stage. We're watching scene one at a certain point, middle pair claps, and we're watching them, and then we're watching them, and it's just scenes, but you're bouncing back and forth. Four square, one, two, three, four, there's two in front, two in back, and we go shift left, shift right, that sort of thing, but ultimately we're always watching a two-person scene, so... Those are my favorites because it's just scenes, just more scenes. Uh, sex with me is always fun. I mean, in front of a rowdy audience and stuff, like, I don't know. And I've done most of those joke games so many times that what I most enjoy is just doing things to make myself laugh. So it's like you get beyond, you, you hear the same suggestions over and over. And so rather than just go to the same jokes, you just try to find new things. And that can be kind of creative because short form, what I don't like about it is they can be so routine and easy that it's not a challenge. So a lot of them are like guessing games, like charades almost, like uh, party quirks. I'm the host of the party and four guests are going to enter. And I was out of the room whenever they got their identities. So now I have to guess from their behavior who they are. Like that's entertaining as hell for an audience because I don't know. And they love that I don't know and I have to guess and I get it wrong sometimes. But... For me, the actor, it's just like not that great a challenge. We did some of those. So, so I did the A3E in 2019, and then at the end we had a couple shows, and we would mm -hmm. do the same thing. And it was interesting. I ended up being the – I was the mayor, and I had to guess what my crime was. And I think <laughs> I was like chewing gum on the subway with Celine Dion. Yep. And people loved it, but it was actually funny. When I was doing it, I wasn't – I was actually like – I don't know, maybe I, I mean, I sold it, but I wasn't as into it because we've done it <laughs> a few times. And I was like, the Celine Dion part was kind of a nice twist. So I was like, oh, I like that. 
what what are some uh, differences? Uh, like, what's the difference between a short form and a in a long form game? I mean, obviously you can tell there's some difference, but how would you break it down for someone who's like, let's say they're going, to, they want to go to you for teaching, or they're like, hey, you know, I want to do Second City, you know, Ross teaching this intro like intro class. Like, what what do you normally like? How do you start people off? Like, do you start them with short form? Do you start with long form? Like, how do you view those two? Uh, different kinds of improv? Yeah, I mean, I, all my experience melts together, and I just tend to teach the people in the room, mainly based on how I learned the magnet. Because at the Second City, their curriculum is just kind of, it's cobbled together over generations of teaching. So it's not very instructive as far as a route. So I just tend to teach what I want. <laughs> so in a level one class, like, Day one, I get them to do scenes. They're extremely short. They're like 20 seconds, but I get that out of the, you know, like that's what improv is to me, whether short form or long form, it's scenes. So if I was explaining it, like I tend to think of my grandma. So if I was explaining improv to my grandma, I'd say it's like theater. It's a scene with characters, right? You've seen Oklahoma musicals, like just like that, except instead of a script that we've all memorized, we're making it up. But otherwise, that's how I get people to understand. Is like, it's like a scene in a movie or a scene in a theater. Uh, and once you get that, then when you get people in the room who are a little nervous, you can be like, it's just like playing pretend. You know, it's making up lies. You know, <laughs> like lots of different ways you can get people to not think about the fact that they're performing something with no safety net in front of people. Like you just have to distract them from that fact because otherwise those eyes, man, people's nerves take over. So... You just have to like, I try to make them comfortable and then go, see, look at that. You all did scenes like at Second City. Some, you know, the first show isn't until after level three, like in New York magnet level one, there's a class show at the end. Like I just try to steer more in the terms of like, let's get to scenes. Let's get to improv because that's what translates to other theaters. Because one problem with Second City is that like they, a student might take all the classes there go across town to the annoyance or IO and they'd be like, whoa, this is more serious. Like that other place is kind of a joke compared to this. <laughs> like I like to teach the class so that if they go to the other place, they won't feel totally like, whoa, all we learned was uh, party quirks and Dr. Know-it-all. Like that doesn't apply here. So I, that's why that's my whole thing is like practical. If I was the student in this class, what would I want? That kind of thing. What have you seen in terms of the different theaters. I know you teach at Magnet, you teach at Second City, you have your own business. What are, like, how, how would someone go about figuring out, like, what, like, how the different theaters operate? Like, you said you, you know, you found a DVD and you're like, oh, that name sounds familiar. I'll, I'll do that. Like, if you were just told, if you were me, well, not me, because I I'm obviously talked to you, but if you're just someone who's like, I don't know even where to start, like, what would you recommend? Besides going to Ross Taylor Teaching. <laughs> Did I get the website right? Yeah, absolutely. RossTaylorTeaching.com. I type in RO in my browser and it goes right there. I'm a couple clicks away from signing up for a class. Uh, I, you know, people are generally familiar with the show Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, that was a helpful thing as far as like, oh, I kind of get it. Um, if I was recommending that you watch something, uh, there's a group called TJ and Dave and... There's a documentary, documentary that they did called Trust Us, This Is All Made Up, and it just films 
a show that they did in New York and the day, you know, walking around New York leading up to it. So it's like an hour and a half and the show is an hour. And then there's 30 minutes before just them walking around killing time before their show. And that, I mean, that's, it's not like the best show I've ever seen, but that's like, yeah, that's a good example of long form improv. Or I know that there's another one I haven't seen yet, but I assume it's similar with the middle ditch and Schwartz on Netflix. A lot of a lot of my friends have told me to see to watch that. Yeah, I mean, you know, in person is the best if you can go. And that's the thing that's kind of cool is like if that person is near any major city or any place with a college, there's an opportunity to go see it in person, and that is the ideal way to see it because then you'll experience the magic. Watching a recording is just not the same as being in the room, seeing people make choices on the spot, because uh, that tends to be like. The thing that's hard to explain when you go home after that show, where you're like, this guy walked in, and then, and you, you know, it made sense when you were there. Yeah, you, you kind of had to be there for that one. Totally, yeah. What about uh, theater selection? Like, if someone's like, because now, right, right now, we're all doing Zoom. So outside of RossTaylorTeaching.com, <laughs> what are some other, uh, what are some other, and, and, and by the way, just so everyone knows, all, you know, all 50, 100 people listen to this. Not being paid for this. This is an. Uh, yeah. I just love. I love what you do. So this is my. Uh, it's my OTU. But I also want people to take that plunge. I think that, I, and I don't know how you feel about this. Maybe it's a good segue. But like laughter, especially now, is just so helpful. Like I, one of the reasons I like doing the classes is I always come out of it in a better mood. And I've I've yeah. never had one improv class where I've went in. I've went in some improv classes in some bad moods. I've had long days at work. I've had significant other issues and I've always walked out of there with a smile on my face. And I don't know if this point is actually going anywhere, but it just seems like a lot of people it, just give it a shot. Like I, I know so many people that they're funny. I mean, I think everyone can be funny. I, I truly believe anyone can be funny. They just have to, they just have to take a shot. So taking it back to where I think I was going with this, um, this is a part you don't see when I'm in class. I mean, I say things in class. This is like how my mind works. It's very, it's very confusing to me. Uh, what, how do you choose? Like, how do you choose theater? I mean, we have online theaters, right? Like, have you experimented with any international theaters? Is there anything going on in other parts of the country you think is kind of cool? Or are you kind of keeping it more like, you know, I really do love what I'm doing at the magnet. And, you know, I have, it sounds like you have a little bit of a love hate with second city, which I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to quote you on that, but maybe a little bit. Sure. Well, at the beginning, I say it doesn't matter where you take classes because any class will be good at the beginning. Once you've taken a few, then your taste might guide you somewhere and be like, oh, I like this style or I like this or whatever. But at the beginning, any improv class anywhere will be helpful in a number of ways. Number one, it's awesome to do scenes and it's fun and getting laughs is fun and it makes you feel better. But I tend to find it, it has two ways of benefiting you off stage. Number one, you're a better listener because you spend so much time trying to understand your partner's ideas. So it tends to make you just tune in more to what someone's communicating. And then it also makes you more uh, confident in your own ideas. Whenever you put something out there, your partner gets on board with it. The audience laughs. And it's just affirming and you feel better about yourself. So it's like anywhere you take a class, those will be the benefits usually. I agree with you that anybody can be funny. I, I would say that there's like a tiny little subsection of people who there's certain obstacles with awareness and things that prevents them from interacting well. 
but everybody can be funny. It just has to be natural. <laughs> it's yeah. getting it's getting us to not try. Because man, when we try, we're not funny. Whenever it's like, all right, here comes the comedy. Usually, what yeah. follows is like, oh man, you're trying, and that's hard. Hard to teach. Because whenever you come in, you're like, awesome, improv, say whatever. I'm gonna be hilarious. <laughs> so, over time, you learn that like the more you relax, the funnier you are, and you see that in classes too. Is all that happens over time is people get more comfortable, and then the funny kind of emerges. Just like in real life, whenever you're not trying so hard, you're usually very funny, and everybody can get a laugh usually. <laughs> uh, but you know, also to say, you know, there are people who don't have a perfect improv experience, and it's like, well, it's not for everybody. In the same way that like bowling isn't for everybody, it's like. The hobby that you choose, this may not be it, but uh, it tends to be at least exciting because you're trying something new. I used to feel a similar thing teaching guitar where it was like people would just get so emotional because they're like, they didn't realize that in the middle of their life, they would learn something new that would like feel good. And they're just like, thank you so much. Like it was me. But anybody could be in the seat that I'm in. It's just that this thing is so amazing. You know, it's like the same with improv where people are just like, Ross. And it's like, well, I'm happy to be here. I do a fine job, but it's improv, really. <laughs> really, that's the thing that we're all keyed up about. I'm very anti-guru. As far as the Second City thing, well, you know, it's a business. It's like everybody who's ever worked there has got a little bit of grievance and also is able to say like, man, this, oppor this opportunity and this thing and this thing were awesome. These parts didn't work out as well. It's like, you know, everybody feels that way. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing, too, because it's like a big, hallowed institution, but everybody's got grievance. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's, I remember uh, you walk in, it was like the first day I was doing it. I remember I posted a, a, an Instagram. I was like, the, my name was on the sheet for the attendance. And, you know, someone commented there, like, oh, I always wanted to like do that. And, you know, you walk in, you see like Farley's face and, yeah. You see, you know, there's, oh, there's Faye and, oh, there's Tim Meadows. And then eventually you figure out there's like another floor and then there's like other theaters in back and you see like some like, uh, who was like Corral was a, was a teacher and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, by like class four, everyone's like, oh, 350 bucks. <laughs> well, you know, it's a little bit, I, I just, I don't personally believe that any theater should take credit for any superstar's career. Like, it'd be like LeBron James's high school being like, you know, you know, we made him. <laughs> like, that guy was getting no opportunities until Akron High came along. It's like, well, I think that Chris Farley and Tina Fey probably, hopefully, were going to find a way to the top anyway. But, you know, that is a selling point because every other theater does the same thing. Uh, and they all, you know, it's like, UCB used to do that a lot at the pit in New York. The guy, you know, owner Ali has the pictures on the wall with him and his famous friends. It's, it's a selling point. It's like someday when you get, you know, you get famous, I'll be like, hey, Eric, one of my school, you know, <laughs> you want to be like Eric? You want to be famous? <laughs> I would do anything if I ever become famous for you to just start zooming in like this and say, totally. you want to be famous? <laughs> you would be a fantastic, you know, I know you're, you said your family is fairly, fairly religious. You would have made a really good cult leader. I know, I know. Well, I mean, this, I, I think about it often because like, <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, you gotta understand, like, I, I live with my grandparents and we, ha we live next door to the church 
that my family built in the 40s. So like going all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. So in my community, the only use for the arts is if you're in church, like singing and performing and all that stuff, it's useful there. But outside of that context, totally useless. So I think that everybody in my family in the church was like, Ross is so talented. I can't wait till he becomes like a servant of God and just spreads. It's like, <laughs> oh no, he's going off to the city. Like, what's he doing? You know, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, but now I do think like, cause I've taught Sunday morning improv classes. And it was like, man, I want my great grandpa who founded this church. Like, I, I wonder what he at the and it's like, all right, we're going to play some uh, freeze tag, everybody. <laughs> it's like, this is my church. This is the thing that I preach uh, performing. But if you, don't get, if you don't go along with it, like, I don't make you feel bad. <laughs> so uh, my, my church is like, not going to come down on you if you don't get on board. I'll be like, yeah, cool. Maybe go do a stand up or a craft or something. <laughs> well, I do think, too, if you're really comparing it, I think you're way more affordable than a church too. Cause if we're talking drop sure. classes, you know, 20 bucks a week, I feel like the church is trying, or was it like you're supposed to give like 10%? Like that's not, yeah. I mean, you're, you're really underselling your, uh, your donations. Well, you know, again, appealing to me as the student, like I can't afford, I can't afford much. So, and I'm, this is, let me say Ross Taylor teaching.com is in the black for the year, but it's not a thriving business. And it's not, you know, it's like, I don't imagine, Someday I'm going to be teaching seven drop-ins a week. It's like, no, 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 this is a fun, awesome, you know, another income stream. That's what I'm all about. It's like any, anything to make money, but. What about, no, let's talk about, you're very artistic. I mean, on the website you can talk about, what is it? You can take improv, you can learn guitar. You're also writing, a, you're a sports buff. I mean, you clearly dropped it when you dropped that, uh, talk about the LeBron James Akron reference. <laughs> what do you, can we talk a little bit about uh, your, your side project with the Cardinals? Yeah, man. Uh, so growing up in Missouri, grandpa was a big Cardinals fan, Cardinals family. So St. Louis Cardinals have been my team since I was a kid. Uh, I had this weird impulse right before the season started to watch every game like a sports writer and just follow the games with the idea that I might write a book at the end of it. And so it's just become this thing that I'm working on. Uh, I got like 40,000 words. It'll eventually, like I reached out to publishers and there's one who's like, yeah, once you have a sample, send it. So it's like, it may lead somewhere, but I'm also totally, and I've been, I was this way with my songs too, totally okay with just creating the thing and the world never seeing it. I would love to share because there are other Cardinal fans and I, all the Cardinals books are a little boring. It's like, it would be cool to write about a year where they didn't win the championship and things were kind of weird all year. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, think, I think it could be a cool angle. And it, most of all, it would please myself as a seven-year-old kid. Like, if I could have known that I was going to write a Cardinals book someday, I'd have been like, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome guy. Because <laughs> I, <mean, yeah. laughs> I wanted to, before acting, there was a short period of time where I, the three things I've ever wanted to be, baseball player, sportscaster, actor. So in my middle school, I was like big into watching SportsCenter. I wanted to be a SportsCenter anchor so bad. Who, who are your favorites? Uh, Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick were my guys uh, in the mid-90s. Mid yeah, you wake yeah. up super early and SportsCenter yep. was on at 6 a.m. And uh, you, because, okay, we're, pr we're, pr we're close in age. The, um, 
you know, they used to have that, uh, I'm trying to picture it like this. They always had Kobe and what like young Kobe was always part of like that beginning. I remember he would always dunk and I, I wanted to be a sportscaster too. I don't know yeah. if there's a relation between theater and that, but so, okay. So talk, talk about uh, like, what's, what's like an interesting story from the book or something that you found when you were writing it that like, was there like a theme from like the season you thought was kind of interesting or like, how, like, are you writing this as like a, like a uh, satire? No, this is, um, so in the past few years, there's been more biographical elements coming into the work that I do. So prior to like three years ago, I just wanted to fit in with everybody else. And I really didn't want to get into where I'm from or my background. And so that kind of changed because you moved to Chicago and Second City is all about who are you as a performer? There are 15 other white guys here. Well, how are you a little different? And that's where you start to get into your own background and be like, oh, maybe I am a little bit different. Oh, actually, kind of unique for the comedy world. Not unique for St. James, Missouri, but for people in comedy, very unique. Uh, so in this book, there's just a lot of, beside, you know, if all I did was write about the, what happened, boring. You know, it's like, here's my background. Here's why I care about this. Uh, a lot of themes as far as like this year, how all the leagues have reacted to the same stuff. So how did they all deal with COVID? How did they all deal with Black Lives Matter? Uh, one thing that I really stumbled upon was how much time is wasted watch, you know, like to watch three hour games, 60 of those games was just like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm force feeding myself at this point. I can't imagine a whole year of 162 games. I can't imagine 30 years of, you know, like if you're not getting paid, <laughs> watching that much sports is bad for you, bad for your relationships, bad for your life. <laughs> like, the amount of time. It's like, that's, that's one thing I really stumbled upon was, uh, this is such a, con a consuming thing. Like, I can totally understand families that hate football because their dad watches every, you know, it's like, that is such a time suck. Is a, yeah. That's a big thing that I, I stumbled upon because my girlfriend, <laughs> we've been together almost eight years and she, I first brought it up. I was like, I think I'm going to try this thing where I watch every baseball game and I write about it. She's like, okay. And <laughs> she watched the first couple, just parts of it. And then no more. Like, yeah. I was like, oh God, this could really cause problems. If somebody was like, no, I have to be a diehard fan and a diehard fan watches every game, every play. It's like, I've done my time. After I write this thing, I think it has to do with my grandpa. I think it has to be like a resolution of like, and now I don't have to be a super fan anymore. <laughs> I've done my time. They won a couple championships in my lifetime and I feel okay just casually paying attention because like, man, it's a lot of time. It's consuming. And it's so, when you watch four hour, a four hour game in which your team loses by like six, what are you like what are you doing with your life yeah. but some other guy could be like hey genius improv <laughs> like how many hours have you spent doing that it's like whatever you choose i try not to be snooty about it uh but boy yeah i also like uh putting it all together like as far as where's my little where's my little space in this big timeline of life you know like this yeah. team that's been around for uh, over 100 years and here are the stars and here's my grandpa's group of stars and here's my mom's group and here's mine. And, oh, you see where all these, these people are, have their lifespan and they end. And 
oh, you see who's going to die next, and oh, I see where I'm going. <laughs> you have this thought of mortality. That thing that happens when the players are younger than you, you know, like now I'm 36, going to be 37 in July, so I'm as old as the oldest players, you know, it's like interesting to get old with these things and just feel differently about the same sport. Like whenever I was a kid, it was just about, wow, Michael Jordan, is he can dunk. And now it's like, what an interesting thing. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> thinking about it in a larger context, just a new way to waste time. You but, went from... Yeah, I will, I will finish that book at some point. So hopefully someday, a couple years from now, I had tentatively called it the COVID Cardinals. But <laughs> whenever I did that, a bunch of people reacted very negatively. <laughs> whenever the whole team got sick with COVID, they were like, what's with this fear stirring, you know, website name. I was like, Oh, I chose that before the season. I, I just thought it was like a funny nickname. Cause they had this team called the gas house gang in the thirties. It's like, Oh, an alliterative, the COVID Cardinals. That's cool. But then they all got COVID. <laughs> you got who yelled at you? Oh, internet people. You know, I was, you know, I was post posting my coverage of the games to Facebook groups. Because Cardinals, like, man, they're Facebook people. There's, like, <laughs> that's another thing I get into is, like, this particular team and their fans. Man, they are Midwestern and yeah. shoot from the hip and, you know, just, like, no complainers. Too many whiners. And then other people are, like, love that bird. Love those birds. Love, you know, it's very simple. Like my, my grandma, it's a bunch of my grandma on the Facebook, the Cardinals pages. <laughs> and so some of them were like, you need to stop being disrespectful. If you were a real fan, I was like, man, I'm the, nobody can tell me I'm not a fan. <laughs> I've watched 60 games from start to finish and you're going to call me. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Please. Are you kidding me? Well, and that's, I think, that, I think that you also hit it on the head without saying it. That's why people drink heavily at baseball games, because they're just yeah. boring. Now, playing. Now, this is one of the loves of my life is playing softball every summer. It's like, I love the active. Uh, it's, it's less fun to just watch. <laughs> oh, and in Chicago, you play, because you're in Illinois. Like, you played the barehanded 16-inch softball. I did. I had a, uh, what team was I on? I played once. And it was like a work, it was a work league. I was, I didn't play baseball growing up. I watched it. I was, it was funny. I, I thought it was too, this is a two, my two things. I thought baseball was too boring. And I thought Cub Scouts was stupid. And <laughs> as I got older, or no, and I didn't, and I, I kind of dabbled in golf. But now that I'm older, all my friends do summer softball. They golf all the time and they buy houses and they like work on things. Now I'm <laughs> currently in my parents' basement, so clearly that hasn't happened yet here, but you know, fingers crossed one of these days. I am moving to Rockford in a couple of weeks, so the studio will change people. This couch will have a different background. The wall will probably be a little bit older and it'll be about 80 miles west. But uh, yeah, those skills that would have been built from playing baseball, golf, and learning to tie a rope, would have been super useful for life and like every day there's like one reminder it'll be like a group text and someone will be like oh hey you guys want to go golf and then they'll be like oh Vern, um oh you can come too like, you know, <laughs> and then i'll be like yeah. I, i'm not and they all and they're all like decent now because they've been playing for like 20 years where i was like nah i'm I, i'm not gonna play after 14 much and i'm also the guy who 
I have one friend and I'm seeing him this weekend and I love this guy to death. And one day I will stop disappointing him, but he like gives me things. He's like, Hey, I have an old golf bag. You should have it. Oh, there's balls in it. You could use those. Hey, I got a new driver. Would you like the old one? Like all the, just like they're like, I think the guy's eventually just going to give me a full set. And at that point it's either I go play with him or we're not friends anymore. He hasn't explicitly said that, but I'm assuming it's going to come down to that point. But all those like skills that you learn younger, it's like they really do come in handy when you're old, especially in Chicago. Like you just hit on the head. Everyone is like playing volleyball. They're playing softball. They're doing something. And if you have none of those skills, it's really hard to be between the age of like 24 and 38. I mean, you yeah. can just wait for people and go to a bar afterwards. But, you know, that's. Well, we could kind of full circle here because there's like a window of time. It's the same as if people come to improv at 50 and have never performed at all versus someone who did some theater in, in high school and then comes to it at 30. It's like that little experience is so beneficial. So like for me, tennis, man, like I move side to side like a champ, but that serve, I didn't do it as a kid and it looks awkward. Sometimes in softball, you'll see these guys come and they're like, whoa, this guy shredded. They're going to destroy it, but they've never swung a bat. So they're just like, just like flailing. (laughs) Like those key windows, man, I wish, you know, it'd be cool to be able to tap into and get better at a thing starting right now. (laughs) To really bring it full circle, even if you don't do theater and things like that when you're younger, you can learn comedy at any age. You can. Same with guitar. I mean, these things seem like far away, but... If you just begin right now, you can absolutely learn new things. Uh, you can get better at softball. You can get better at golf. It's like that seems like an invitation to you to play more uh, yeah. from your friend. I, I, I won't. But, uh, <laughs> all right, so RossTaylorTeaching.com, you can do – so what – and we talked – you brought this up earlier, and I should have stopped you. What is a drop-in class? A drop-in class is just a two-hour class that anybody can take, and it's a one – you know, it's the two-hour commitment. Um, my only prerequisite is, is that you've done an improv scene ever before. <laughs> so if you're a total beginner, I would suggest the Magnet Theater or Second City or some other theater that's offered online classes or in-person classes eventually. But if you have ever performed, you can absolutely drop in. $10, two hours, and it's uh, every week. <laughs> and then you also have group classes. Is that more, uh, how does that work? Uh, the group classes, I'm not sure if I'm going to try those again okay. until it seems like people are going to sign up. They were going to be four weeks, uh, $80. Again, just like affordable, affordable. And those were kind of more specialized. Uh, it's just hard to get, you know, without investing a ton of money to get strangers' eyes upon my stuff. You know, I'm, I'm happy with the people who find my class. <laughs> I would always love to have more, but... I very much just follow whatever the opportunity is. So it's like if people were to stop signing up for drop-in, so I'd stop teaching them and find some other thing. It's like not going to make or break me. But I do like having a space that is just mine where I don't feel compelled to cover what the school wants or I don't know. It's just uh, because one other thing about those theaters is the students that come through, they want to get somewhere at those theaters. And so, you know, they're thinking about those things. But in my drop-in, Nobody's going to be on a team. <laughs> There's no, no anything besides pure, just like we're here to do improv because we enjoy it. And I do offer some feedback, but ultimately it's just about like enjoying the thing as opposed to getting somewhere with it. 
And you know what? In 2021, maybe we can all just take some time and enjoy enjoy the gift. Enjoy the gift, right? We're all here. We're, we all survived for the most part, knock on wood. We're, we're, now, you, you have performed for years, and I don't even know the answer to this. <laughs> Where can I find your find your performances online? I was gonna say uh, uh, for a minute I had this thought. I'm like, we're gonna find your pictures online, and I'm like, wait a minute, what <laughs> happened earlier? I don't know which pictures, but uh, bad jokes aside, where yeah. uh, where can we see you online if they hear see his podcast or hear it and they're like, I need more Ross Taylor. All right. Well, in the next few days here, let's see, December, I believe it's 19th, 18th, 19th, and 26th. Uh, it's Friday and Saturday and uh, another Saturday after Christmas there. Uh, Theannoyance.com has a Twitch channel, and there's a show called Super Spread the Cheer that I'm a part of, and that's just a cast of like 20, each doing videos from their home, and I've submitted a couple. Cool uh, videos. <laughs> yeah, 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 underwear videos. And uh, on Fridays... <laughs> At 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, I perform musical improv with a group called Premiere. And that's through the Magnet Theater, also on their Twitch channel. And at the moment, those are the online things. Uh, I don't tend to keep up a bunch of older videos just because, you know, after a while, it's like I have a bunch of videos from before. Uh, but I don't really, like, keep things up too long because I tend to cringe at, like, looking at them again. Um, in person, working on musical uh whenever the world reopens me and my partner we're trying to do this country western musical it's like kind of based on tammy wynette and george jones kind of like a toxic couple country music people so eventually we'll tour that around that would be the goal for 2021 when things reopen okay well, ross taylor and uh i'm gonna do the outro here but uh don't don't get off quite yet although we did go past <laughs> the hour That's thank cool. you so much for uh for sharing uh, your time and your gift and uh, your story. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, Eric. RossTaylorTeaching.com and whatever Ross said earlier about- I had a great time learning and laughing with Vern. Thank you for saying that exactly how I wrote it. <laughs>